Stir up uh, thy power, O Lord, and come. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear friends, in this uh, first Sunday of Advent, we see the the Church uh, puts on this uh, purple and solemn uh, uh, tone. But Advent, if we can say, has its own unique tone in the uh, liturgical year. It's a time of both uh, excitement and a time of preparation preparing for the grace of Christmas. Uh, it was St. Bernard who explains that Advent represents the three comings of our Lord. The first coming, uh, when he came in, in weakness and flesh at Bethlehem. The second coming, by his power and grace, he gives to us every day. In this manner, he comes to us as a, uh, as a humble friend. And then in his uh, final coming, uh, he will come in power and majesty as a as a furious lion, says St. Bernard. But our Lord definitely comes to us each day in this world uh, with grace that he wants to give to us. But this time of Advent, the church gives us a time to pause, reflect, to pray, to prepare. A time for us to perhaps die to ourselves, to remove the obstacles that hinder us from coming to our Lord. As Dom Guranjay, the great master of the liturgical year, explains to us that during the season of Advent, our Lord knocks at the door of all men's hearts at the one time so forcibly that they must needs notice him, at another so softly that it requires attention uh, to know that Jesus is asking admission. He comes to ask them if they have room for him, for he wishes to be born in their house. The house indeed is his. For he built it and preserves it. Yet he complains that his own refused to receive him. At least the greater number did. But as many as received him, he gave them power to be sons of God, born not of the blood, nor of the flesh, but of God. He will be born then uh, with more beauty and luster and might than you have hitherto seen in him. O you faithful ones who have who hold him within you as your daily treasure, and who have longed to live a no other life than his, shaping your thoughts, your works, on the model of his. You will feel the necessity of words to suit and express your love, such as he delights to hear you speak to him. You will find them in the Holy Liturgy. And I'll come back to that point a little later. But it's Father... Go find in his liturgical year helps us to understand when this time of uh, Lent being a time of preparation, what does it mean for us to prepare the way of the Lord and make straight his paths? He explains that it means that we should prepare our hearts for the worthy reception of Christ by penance, amendment, and the resolution to lead a, a pious life in the future. And this should be our normal state of affairs. To do this, every valley shall be filled. That is, the faithful, uh, uh, the faint-heartedness, the sloth, and the cowardice. All worldly carnal sentiments should be uh, elevated and directed to God, the highest good, by firm confidence and ardent desire for heavenly virtues. The mountains and hills shall be brought low. That is, pride, stubbornness, and ambition should be humbled, and the obstinate uh, will be broken. The crooked shall be made straight, that is, ill-gotten goods shall be restored, hypocrisy, malice, and double-dealing be renounced, and our intentions turned to good, 
and the performance of his holy will. And the rough ways shall be made plain, that is, anger, revenge, and impatience must leave the heart if the Lamb of God is to dwell therein. And as you know, Advent, the church puts before us uh, John the Baptist, uh, this man whom God uh, from all eternity chose to prepare the way for our Lord, this selfless man, this mortified and holy man, who would be the precursor, the one who prepares the way for our Lord. A man who was selfless, a man whom our Lord would say, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed shaken in the wind? Well, John the Baptist was not such a one. St. Hilary the Great explains that by a reed shaken in the wind, we are mean a man who is absorbed by the vanities of the world and his own empty life. Within him, within such a one, there is the void, the fruits of truth, having a, a pleasing exterior, but an empty interior. Responsive to the breath of every wind, that is, to the promptings of every unclean spirit, never able to make a firm stand and vain the very marrow of his bones. And this really sums up the greatest state of most of men today. St. John the Baptist was a man whom the Spirit of God was at work. And it was at work because he was detached from the spirit of the world, a mortified man who could then hear the promptings of God's grace. Why do we need to prepare? Well, God does not come unless we prepare uh, a, a fitting place to receive him. And it's at Christmas we hear that there was no place for him in the end. That's naturally not true in a literal sense. There was a place for him in the inn, but not a fitting place uh, because his, his mother was about to give birth. Uh, a crowded environment would not be a fitting place. So uh, uh, the Holy Ghost would lead Joseph out further into the fields where in a cave hidden away from the eyes of men, uh, Our Lady would uh, bring forth our Lord into this world. So we also must do the same. We must uh, remove those obstacles uh, and prepare a fitting place for our Lord and it's often said of Our Lady that she conceived first our Lord in her heart before she conceived him in her womb. She had prepared a fitting place in her heart before she would prepare a, a fitting place in her body. Uh, and today I want to speak about this uh, aspect and what I will say might not be <clears throat> the most comfortable things to hear but they are necessary for us to hear them. I think today uh, uh, we live in a world which has uh, gone mad. And the first thing when we speak about the madness is it's an it's a illness of the mind. And today we see a, a world, uh, and, uh, and I'm talking mainly about us Catholics, Christians, that we have lost sight of, of things. And we speak about this core beliefs. I'm not talking about core beliefs in the sense of religion. <clears throat> but in psychology, we speak about a person's core beliefs. In other words, the way he sees himself, the way he sees the world around him. And I think we have imbibed the spirit of a, a false core belief about the way we see ourselves and the way we see the world around us. Uh, so the other day I saw a statistic saying that one in five people in, the, in England uh, are on antidepressants. And England, uh, up until recently, was... Uh, a Christian country. When I read that statistic, that's totally frightening. But where does where does a mentality uh, 
how, how does a society become like this? A society becomes like this when its core belief is uh, what we see today, a, a victimhood mentality. Um, I need to be on, on antidepressants because I, I've got a very hard life. And I often ask these people, well, um, are you, have you been in a war? Um, do you live in a country where people are out to shoot you, kill you? Um, do you live in a third world country? Uh, are you starving? Do you have to look for daily bread? No. So why do you on antidepressants? Because uh, you feel that you need to feel good all the time. And you're feeling bad because of whatever thing. It's a victimhood mentality. Uh, poor me. Uh, the odds are stacked against me. And I've got to live this difficult life. And not everything is going my way. Uh, it's a victimhood mentality. Or uh, a mentality which says to themselves that uh, maybe uh, I'm not a victim, but uh, you know I I need to like I need to give an ex extreme example because then it doesn't nobody thinks that I'm applying it to them. But say let's say somebody who's a drunkard, uh, they, they will say to themselves, well I, I need this alcohol because uh, I need it to cope with life and I've had a tough life or a trauma in my life, so I need I need this alcohol or this drug uh, to deal with life. Uh, poor me, uh, because they have this self pity mentality. Uh, uh, and it can be uh, uh, just this, um, and often you see this with, with people who uh, unfortunately achieve nothing in their life, is, oh, I can't do this because it's too hard, too difficult. Uh, in other words, they sell themselves out as being unable to achieve something. I can't do this. Uh, you know, I, I remember a, a, um, not long ago, for example, a, a friend uh, asked me, said, Father, honestly, what do you... What, you see this rise in H A H D D A H D whatever you call that uh, people with all these mental issues, and and what do you think is the cause of this? And I said, well, there are many causes, but as far as I'm concerned, the two main causes, and you, you might not want to hear them, but the two main causes are really bad parenting uh, and lack of virtue. Bad because in the past, hard to believe, but parents were actually expected to be parents. Uh, like teachers in the past were expected to actually teach. I know it's hard to believe. Uh, and doctors, hard to believe it, were actually expected to heal. Today, there is on the market of medicines, so-called medicines, over 500,000 medicines. And the next to not, not almost one of them is there to heal you. I thought about that. Odd. Doctors are drug pushers, but they don't heal. That's odd. We take that for normal today. But that's insane. A doctor in the past was supposed to heal you. That's why he was a doctor. Today, he just deals with the symptoms, about like putting a Band-Aid on. No, we don't need a Band-Aid. We need to be healed. There's something wrong here. Uh, but we, we have taken the, in, in the mode of insanity, the mode of uh, victimhood, the mode of uh, poor me as normal. And this is insane. This is not what built Western civilization. And in the past, our forefathers never had any of the daily comforts that we have and they built the world that we see today around us. They fought hardly. And they, they had to struggle. They had a hard life. Uh, and I often say to people, I know my grandparents who I never met, never had uh, depression. How do I know? Because they were too busy working. They were too busy raising large families. They were too busy uh, doing their daily duty of state. They never had time to pause and feel sorry for themselves. Uh, the self-pity mentality. St. John the Baptist, he never felt sorry for himself being in the desert. And the hardest thing for me, I've said to you, the most 
hilarious thing, but insane thing, is John the Baptist in prison and his, our Lord's his cousin. And when our Lord sends word for John the Baptist, not a single word of sympathy is given for St. John the Baptist. Not a single word of, oh, don't worry, hang in there, I'll be delivering you soon. Not a single word. And John the Baptist's reaction, one of rejoicing in our Lord. One of pointing people to our Lord. Not seeking uh, uh, to be feel sorry for himself. For me, I'm a victim and these unjust uh, government is attacking me and I'm a holy man. Not a single word uh, for his own case. On the contrary, convinced of the power of God at work in him. Convinced of the power of work in him. Our choices then are very important. The way we view ourselves is very important. Uh, You know, what was the view of the saints? The view of the saints was in the words of St. Paul, In Christ I can do all things in him. With God all things are possible. With him I can do all things. It doesn't mean I do all things. It means that I do something. I can do something. And all of us are called to do something. And, and more so today in the sense of today we have less excuse when people say to me, I, you ask them, so I don't know how to do it. Well, you know, I don't know how to do it either, but I can learn. Uh, I can look it up. It's not hard. I can ask someone. Uh, it's not a question of they don't know how to do it. It's more of a question, I don't want to do it. Uh, and often I see this with so many people, whether it's religious, I ask them, can you do this? Oh, I don't know how to do it. I don't know either, but I could look it up. So, so also you can look it up. You could learn it if you really wanted. And I often said this to our parents, you know, that in the school, and I certainly when I was growing up in school, uh, multicultural country, Australia, very beautiful thing. Uh, the Asians would often top the state. And I said to our parents, it's not because the Asians were smarter. It's because their parents expected something from them. So therefore, they achieved something. If you expect nothing and you sell your children out short, you're not able, you're just the average uh, person with no intelligence. Well, what are you going to get? Nothing. Well, that's what you... It's not that they're not capable. It's just that we sell them short with a poor attitude. And therefore, our, our, the way we frame our attitude is so important uh, to what we are going to accomplish in our life. Uh, God has all all called us all to be saints, that's for sure. And he's all called us to do something great for him in this life. But we will miss that boat if we sell ourselves short with our false core belief about my life. Uh, This self-pity syndrome or victimhood syndrome or I'm not able to do syndrome. This is not the Catholic attitude. this is not what built Western civilization with its great literature, artwork, music, uh, uh, economics, politics. Uh, it was great, uh, built on, on a spirit of greatness, a spirit of generosity of not only am I able, but I'm able to do even far greater than our forefathers. This should be our, our mindset. But this means we have to remove the false, false obstacles that are, are hindering us from this, this reality. Uh, our choices determine the difference between who we are now and who we will become. Uh, we may not be something in, in what we see ourselves now, but what God has called us to will be determined by the choices we make now. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's not so much here about what you do. It's more about how you think, because that's going to determine uh, what you do. Uh, the way we see things is very important. The Catholic perspective on our life, on the way we see ourselves and the way we see the world around us. We, we must see it for what it is, the madness that it is. But 
the way it should be. We look at the past and how our forefathers transformed the world, which was once a barbaric, savage world. Well, how do I? I'm called to be a light in this world. I must have the right perspective on the way I see myself, on the way I see the world around me, and what God's called me in this world. We might not be so much here and now, but we can, it's one step at a time. And if you persevere in the right direction and the right choices, before you know it, you've climbed a massive mountain. You know, the Archbishop, uh, who would have thought that at the end of his life, uh, standing up for the old faith, the ancient faith, persecuted the odds against him, the hierarchy against him, he would have left behind this great monument uh, of uh, hundreds of priests throughout the world, hundreds of chapels throughout the world. Because one step at a time, one battle at a faithfulness in, in the right mindset, the right attitude. doesn't matter if the world is against me. I've got our Lord. I've got the true faith. I've got 2,000 years of Catholicism behind me. This can't be wrong. This has built and transformed the world and it, it didn't lose its power. It will never lose its power because it's backed by God. This insignificant uh, old French bishop but who cooperated with the grace of God. Look at the great monuments throughout the world that he left behind, thanks to his fidelity. Uh, insignificant fellow. He never worked a single miracle in his life, but was faithful to God's grace. John the Baptist didn't go around working miracles. Our Lord did, but John the Baptist didn't. But he was faithful. And uh, uh, the saints point out, the, the most mortified saint in the history of our faith, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. No consolation uh, from men, or even from our Lord, but faithful, not seeking uh, to direct anyone to himself, uh, directing it all to our Lord. What a great monument for us. What a great example for us. We should be more concerned then in the trajectory of our lives than what we have achieved today. Today, I may have achieved next to nothing. That's not the point. Uh, an example of this is uh, bamboo. Bamboo, when you plant it, it takes like five or six years in the ground before it even springs up. But what's it doing in that ground? It's building a, such a massive, uh, extensive root system that uh, once it shoots up within six months, it's almost like 90 feet. But after that point, good luck if you can ever try and uproot it. Spend years because it's built a massive, a massive deep root system uh, underneath. Uh, St. John the Baptist, a very small public life, but years of preparation. So that when he comes to the public life, he's not deterred. He's not uh, easily brushed aside. He's not easily uh, uh, pushed over by people. Uh, years of solid virtue. Real virtue, real knowledge requires hard effort. The hard yards. Uh, not just... Uh, like so many people today who, who get up and speak or talk on things and they don't really know much. You know, we spend, uh, we spend five, seven years in the seminary before we get up and speak in public to you because we need to spend that. Maybe we're, the Jesuits spent 14 years in studies before they get ordained to the priesthood. Yeah, because we need that uh, grounding. And I, as I've, I've honestly said, and I've said it to people, we priests today, in my personal opinion, are really dumb by comparison to the great priests of the past who were, were literally uh, walking encyclopedias 
an example of that was a very funny meme, but it was so true. So this man said, I would love to go back into the past to show the world how intelligent I am. So he goes back into the past and somebody says to him, well, that, that electricity stuff that you told us about, how does it work? And he says, well, I don't know. Um, well, in the past, the Jesuits, when they would go into a place, they could literally build everything from scratch because they understood how things worked. Today, most of us wouldn't know how anything works. And I wouldn't know how electricity works either. Um, and that's the reality. That's how unintelligent we are. Because real intelligence requires hard work to study, to understand how things work. Today, we, we know how to push buttons. But more than that, we don't know how things work. And that's not a good thing. It's not a sign of, of any deep uh, knowledge. Any more than uh, most of us don't have a real depth of virtue. And that's why we see the perversion around us in society we have. But our Lord says to us, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And what does that mean? Well, our Lord's getting at what? He's getting at our desires. Where your desires are, there your hearts are. And your desires are where you are not. In other words, it's because you don't have them now, uh, you desire them. Well, what's our desire? Today, the world has, has uh, pushed us in such a way that our main desires are uh, the passions, the things of this world. Uh, and many of us find it hard to think uh, beyond that. And that's a very profound danger for us. You know, it was St. Catherine of uh, Alexandria, that uh, great saint of antiquity, uh, who said that if you are ruled by the mind, you are king. But if you are ruled by the body, you are a slave. And today we are slaves to the world, slaves to the passions. Uh, and that's why, again, in antiquity, it was the old saying, give them bread and circus and they will never rebel. Uh, we have a, 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 a country, and we could say this almost worldwide today, uh, ruled by idiots um, and inflation beyond comprehension, uh, uh, crime rising, uh, insanity uh, in, in its ideology with all these lies of climate change and what have you. Uh, and yet no rebellion. Why? Because give them bread and circus. And, you know, the average person says, well, who cares if I don't get a job? Well, the government will look after me because, you know, it's our socialist system. Well, the government is, is uh, my God, really. Uh, and, and that, you know, St. Paul said in answer to that, he who doesn't uh, work should not eat. I don't think he was a socialist. So the, the point is that this mentality has, has blinded us uh, and we are led... Uh, by the passions today and it's a sad reality and if we think on what should be our mindset it should be like that of Catherine of Alexandria whose feast we celebrated uh, a week ago uh, a great model for us uh, a born a pagan uh, in a pagan society uh, uh, back in the year of 287 uh, uh, and paused and reflected even as a young girl even as a pagan uh, to understand uh, the causes of things, to understand uh, things on a more deeper level. One day, she, she says she had a, a vision uh, in her sleep of uh, Our Lady and Our Lord, but Our Lord turned her, his face away from her, and she was a bit disheartened and didn't understand what that meant. So she asked for one of the, the monks at the time to come and uh, speak to her and explain uh, what this meant. And the monk explained to her that as a pagan, she was uh, displeasing to God, but the vision is a sign that she was uh, a child called to eternal life. 
So she began to understand and investigate uh, the Christian faith and she was uh, uh, put on the road to baptism, studied, learned and was baptized by this uh, priest uh, and brought to the Catholic faith. Uh, five years later, the uh, emperor, her, her cousin, uh, Maxentius, ordered uh, for the Christians to be persecuted. So she went uh, and to see him and explained how unjust this law uh, was. Uh, instead of uh, directly deciding to put her to death, he ordered 50 of his most learned uh, uh, men and uh, orators and uh, uh, the, uh, the pagan uh, uh, clergy to come and speak to her and explain to her the error of her ways. Well, after the conversation with them, uh, a good number of them uh, were baptized in the faith. They uh, embraced the Catholic faith. On hearing of this, Maxentius put them all to death. Uh, and seeing that he could not get her to budge, he decided to have her tortured and imprisoned. Uh, uh, after a week of torture and imprisonment, not budging, he decided to have her uh, tortured and put to death by the, uh, the old uh, iron wheel, which was uh, a very uh, evil invention for worst of criminals, where the person's uh, whole flesh was flagellated and eventually his uh, uh, bones were broken. Uh, upon seeing this, uh, she knelt down and touched the wheel and it broke to pieces. Uh, Maxentius, seeing that nothing worked, he offered her uh, a spousal in marriage. She refused. She said, I've got a, a, greater, a greater spouse, our Lord. And then on hearing this, he decided, well, uh, to put her death, to put her death. She was beheaded uh, in love for our Lord. And, and, I, and I think that the great thing about this example for us is her, her love for the truth. But the love for the truth is, requires a spirit of detachment uh, uh, to seek after truth, the wisdom. And our Lord, in, in rewarding her desire for the truth, uh, gave her himself. Seek and you shall find. And yet, isn't it very interesting that today we live in a world where information is readily available. You can look up anything, type it in, and you'll get your answer on Google or what have you. But yet many people are not embracing the faith. Well, why is that? And, and that is because most people today are intellectually dishonest. The greater number of doctors, lawyers, judges, uh, priests, uh, whatever you want, in every field of life, they are intellectually dishonest. Because when you seek the truth, the truth is staring us in the face today. But it's inconvenient. Uh, we don't want to um, follow the truth if it means uh, being inconvenient for us. And that's an important point because our Lord says, don't cast your pearls before swine. Because most people are swine and the pearls are the graces and the truths of the faith. Most, uh, heaven is not cheap. People, our Lord has called us to heaven. But Jesus is not cheap. Heaven is not cheap. If you want heaven and you want Jesus, you've got to love the truth to the point of willing to seek it at all costs and embrace the implications of what it means. And, and that's why it's good to see today. You still see a lot of people still, Protestant ministers, Jews, whatever, people coming to the Catholic faith knowing it's going to cost them. It's going to come at a price for them. But they know, I, I didn't want Catholicism to be the truth, but it is the truth. And then they had to make a decision, uh, like uh, St. Catherine of Alexandria. She had to make a decision, make a choice. But for these people of goodwill, the choice is obvious. There is no other choice but to embrace the truth. And the truth, if it's not costing us something, then it's uh, cheap to us. And then we won't follow it. 
the, the truth comes at a price. And this is very important. That's why, yeah, it comes at a price, which means we have to remove those obstacles that I spoke about, that false mindset, which means it's going to mean, uh, yeah, we have to make prayer, penance, sacrifice, generosity, alms, whatever it is. That's the price of our salvation. We're imitating our Lord in this regard. And here, I'm just going to conclude for you the beautiful words of uh, Dom Guranjay for this uh, season of Advent. He says, It is evident that Advent then is a season especially devoted to the exercise of what is called the purgative life, which is implied in that expression of St. John, so continually repeated by the church during this holy time. Prepare you the way of the Lord. Let all therefore strive earnestly to make straight the path by which Jesus will enter into their souls. Let the just forget the things that are behind and labor to acquire the fresh merit. Let sinners begin at once and break the chains which now enslave them. Let them give up those bad habits which have they have contracted. Let them weaken the flesh and enter upon the hard work of subjecting it to the Spirit. Let them, above all, pray with the church. And when our Lord comes, they may hope that he will not pass them by, but that he will enter and dwell within them. For he spoke of all when he said these words, Behold, I stand at the gate and knock. If any man shall hear my voice and open to me the door, I will come unto him. The Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.